When I was a, about six years old, for Christmas one year, I remember uh, my dad, uh, my mom and dad, we were very excited about hunting season that was going on, and Santa showed up and brought all sorts of stuff for me to be ready to go hunting. I remember, I, I, I got my first BB gun, um, which was great, did not shoot my eye out, kid, it was all good. I got my first, uh, I got some camouflage, I got a few different things, some boots, all of the stuff that I needed to be a professional hunter at six years old, and I was fired up, right? And like a good kid, like a good, like, like someone who just ripped into some presents, I could not wait to put on the camouflage, right? I had hats, I had all kind of stuff. I looked like, I looked like I had like almost grease paint on my face. Like I was ready to go either go, either go hunting deer or like fight in Vietnam. It was somewhere in between. I didn't know. But I put on, it, we, we had, I had this thing it was given to me. It was a onesie, basically. It was this insulated onesie and it was all camouflage, right? And it was perfect for like if you're in the deep woods. But the problem was, is I was sitting in my house in Raceland, right? But I would not take it off. And I remember we were getting ready because Christmas, e Christmas evening, like the day of Christmas, that night, we always went to my grandma's house and all my cousins, all 15 of us, would pile into the house and we would wreck it and then we would go home and it was fun, right? Well, what we did was, is mom was trying to tell me, you're going to put on this nice pair of khakis and this nice shirt and, and I'm like, eh, eh, ain't happening. I'm wearing my camouflage onesie. And mom was mad, and it's okay, because I still wore my camouflage onesie, right? So we did what kids do when we got together. We had 15 of us running around my grandma's house, or however many were around at that point, right? We were running around my grandma's house, and we decided it was nighttime. We're going to play hide-and-go-seek. And there was one thing. The person that was it, it was dark outside. It was, we were running around. We had oak trees and all kind of cool stuff to hide behind under the house. It was great. But the one thing that we could do is that whoever was it had a flashlight, right? So we play and we're having our good time, and I'm running around in a camouflage onesie at six years old all over my grandma's, my grandma's property. We're having fun, we're running around, we're having a good time. Well, all of a sudden, I'm trying to get from one, play, like one hiding spot behind a tree to another tree to then get to the base. And I'm in this onesie, and we got like four or five of my cousins around me, and they all take off. And I'm the last one, so I'm running behind them. And we see the person that was it off to the side, and they have the flashlight. And they like, get down, get down. And I went, no, I'm in camouflage. So I just froze, and like this. Just standing up in the middle of a yard. Because at six years old, I thought camouflage turned me into a tree. I thought for some reason that they were going to look at me, they were going to shine this light and be like, oh, it's a ficus, and keep running. But it didn't happen. All of a sudden, I see the light on me, and now they're running closer, and I'm thinking, but you can't see me, I'm a tree. I was freaking out. I was scared out of my mind because I'm like, they got some kind of magical power to be able to see me. And then, I got, and then someone explained to me how camouflage works. That camouflage only works if you're blending into something. Not if you're standing up in the middle of a yard like this, just waiting to not get seen. Right? 
It doesn't magically turn you into a tree. It doesn't work that way. So kids, just letting you know, whenever you're wearing it, people can see you, okay? There's a, there's some kind, there's a teaching in there. Because I was, I, I, yeah, it was an it, it innocent but dumb move on behalf of a kid, absolutely. But there's a teaching in there. Because camouflage does not make sense out of whenever it's not in relation to something else. Camouflage does not make sense when it's not in relation to something else. It's very similar to our life as a Christian. It does not make sense when it's not in relation to someone else. Our life as a Christian looks about as... If we try and be a Christian without the Jesus, what happens is, is we start to look just like a six-year-old standing in the middle of the yard pretending they're a tree. It doesn't make sense when it's not in relation to someone else. As we jump into this homily, as we jump into today's readings, I want to propose a question to start. I want to, I want to do a little thought experiment with us for a second. For a moment, hear this sentence. We are gods. We are gods. How do you hear that sentence? We are gods. We can hear that sentence in two ways. I think there are two legitimate ways we can hear that sentence. That we are gods, you know what? We are right next to God. That God is almighty, all-powerful, and you know what? I'm with Him, right next to Him. I'm on the same plane as Him. I consider that small g gods. That we can make ourselves equal to God. I think the other legitimate way to hear that is that we belong to God. That we are in relation with God. That we are God's apostrophe S. That we belong to Him. I would be willing to bet that most of the tension that we feel in our life lands in between those two poles. That I want to act as if I am a God, or I want to, but I know I'm supposed to act like I belong to God. I know in my own life, a lot of times, the sin, the struggles, the places that I constantly fall, the weaknesses that I have in my life, most of the time can be attributed when I'm trying to act like a small g God put myself equal with him. But in reality, I know I'm supposed to act as if I belong to him. Today in our scripture when we hear we hear small g gods. We hear we have a we have a some we have a place where where St Paul is talking to Corinth and he's talking to a community that likes to live as small g gods. He even goes so far as to remind them, you do not belong to yourself. You belong to someone else. You have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. See, Corinth was a port city. 
And in port cities, what often happened is a lot of sin would find their way into port cities. Particularly sins of the flesh. Brothels, those kind of things. They found their ways into port cities. And that's where St. Paul is preaching to these people. They have, ex- they have come to know Jesus. They have come to understand Paul's teaching. But Paul is, is exhorting them and he's challenging them. He's saying, just because you know Him doesn't make you free to do whatever you want. That's a life of a small g God that you're putting yourself on the same level as God. That you're saying, I know what's best for me, not God. When we live a life as a small g God, what happens is that the moral code of the church, what Jesus teaches us in His Sermon on the Mount and throughout the Scriptures, it becomes a suggestion. Love your enemy. Okay, until they do something to me. Turn the other cheek. Okay, sounds good. Until they hit me. Sacrifice for the sake of another. Okay. Until, it, until I feel it. Keep holy the Sabbath day. Okay. Until I got to wear a piece of cloth on my face. When we put ourselves in that position as a small g God, what happens is, is that we try and become our own Savior. We feel like we have to make it happen. That the problems of the world, it's my job to fix it all. That puts pressure on us. That also emboldens us. That's whenever we get keyboard warriors who think, I'm going to give the next hot take on Facebook so people could tell me how great I am. How often do we in our lives live as a small g God? Now, I think what the tension is is that we understand we're supposed to belong to God. That whenever we hear the phrase, we are God's apostrophe S, that's how we're supposed to be living. Today, when we look at our Scriptures, our first reading, we hear from Samuel. Now, Samuel, a little background to Samuel. Samuel was raised by a very, very holy woman in the Old Testament, Hannah. And she taught, she, she appealed to God praying for, for years pleading to God to give her a son. And God gave her a son, and she taught her son how to pray. She taught her son how to, how to be in relationship with God. She taught her son the, 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 what it meant to live as we are God's apostrophe S. So much so that Hannah, in, in her gratefulness for God, gave her son back to the temple. So when we hear about Samuel, he's a young man living in the temple. He's been adopted by Eli, who's the high priest. And he's he's sleeping in the temple near Eli. And the Lord's voice comes to him. He's willing, he can understand it, he can recognize it because he's been living his life as God's apostrophe S. He's been living as if he belongs to God. He recognized God's voice and can live his life from that place. So when God calls, he answers. Now what we skip in today's first reading, we skip what the prophecy is that he receives. And the prophecy is a little bit damning. 
The prophecy is a little bit hard. It's one that's not going to be fun to give because it's actually the adopted father of him, Eli, who he's saying, I'm going to, God's saying, I'm going to basically overthrow him. I'm going to kick him out. He's not doing his job. Him and his family have been, they're, they're, a, they're a rough representation of priests. And Samuel has to give the message. See, I think one of the lies that happens sometimes with, with, with God, when we say we are God's apostrophe S, is that we feel like when I give my life to God, everything's going to be easy. When I give my life over to my faith without any kind of holding back, that everything's going to go good. Our Protestant brothers and sisters, a lot of times they'll use this, this phrase comes up, the prosperity gospel. Where if I live my life like Jesus asked, my 401k is going to spike. I'm going to get the promotion, all the good stuff. I'm never going to get sick. Everything's going to be perfect and rainbows and daylilies. And it's a lie. When in reality, when we live our life as if we belong to God, what happens is, is we're given the strength to carry through when things do fail. When sickness does happen. When loss does happen. When we're hurt. You see, when we're, we're, we as a, as a faith community, we as the church are given this choice. Of how do you want to live? Jesus says it in the Gospel today. What are you looking for when He's talking to these apostles? When He's talking to these early disciples, these early followers? He says, what are you looking for? Do we want to live our life as if we are God's? Small g? Put ourselves in responsible for everything that goes on in the world? Everything that goes on in our life? Where we'll constantly be trying and constantly be frustrated? Or, do we want to live our life as if we belong to God? A life that's fulfilling. A life that may not be perfect by the worldly standards, but a life that is gonna, that's going to bear fruit not just for this life, but for the next as well. Today when we come to Mass, we don't come to put ourselves on, a, on, on some kind of a pedestal. We don't come to put ourselves on some kind of equal plane with the Almighty. We come to stand before Him in worship, in thanksgiving, in crying out that I want You, Lord, to be a part of my life. That I want You to take claim over my life today. When we receive communion, we're giving Him permission. And when we leave here, we allow the Lord to take possession of us. May today we turn away from the ways in which we fall short and put ourselves as a small g God over our life. And may we embrace that we belong, that we are possession of God Himself.